Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! Happy Hanukkah! Festive Kwanzaa! Wonderful Winter Solstice! Ramadan? Let's have some fun! This is Rick Canny from Favor the Artist Management, and you're listening to Promoter 101. Hey, welcome to Promoter 101. It's the 12 Days of Christmas Super Spectacular. We want to give a shout out to Craig Newman for the holiday version of our song. Craig's a great musician and an amazing friend. We got a featured interview coming up with him very soon on the podcast, but not today. Today we've got a surprise interview and just ready to unveil the secret. My friend Luke Pierce is going to tell us what's coming up today. Thanks, Dan, and welcome. This is day 10. There are only three more of these, everybody. 10, 11, 12 of the 12 Days of Christmas on Promoter 101. And today, retail mastermind, Mr. Bob Rupp, he's going to take us through the story of selling music from his home to running one of the most successful drum shops in the world and his current gig at Savian Symbols. This is Mike Barsh with Soda Jerk Presents in Denver, and this is Promoter 101. We continue our world tour. Catch us when we come to a town near you. Next on deck for Promoter 101 will be live at the FlyCon Conference in the Big Easy, New Orleans, January 16th at 2 p.m. We'll be recording Promoter 101 live with a special guest from Lockin and the Brooklyn Bowl, Mr. Peter Shapiro. Looking forward to it, Dan. Yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at The Jew. The show's at Promoters 101, and it's plural, Promoters with an S, 101. And you can always catch Luke at W. Luke Pierce. Of course, it's Dan and I talking every week. You hear enough of us, but it doesn't have to be that way. We're ready to listen. Send us an email with your ideas to steiny at promoter101.net. We can't wait to hear what's on your mind, and we give you our sworn promise to respond to every inquiry in a timely manner because you matter to us. Promoter 101, Rich Mills, The Feldman Agency. Dan, our next guest has got a long storied history. Bob Rupp truly is a mastermind of retail. This guy used to get people into his drum store with the slogan, fuck off and drum at Rupp's Drums. Currently at Sabian Symbols, we're going to welcome to Promoter 101, Mr. Bob Rupp. Promoter 101, we're in Denver, Colorado, and I'm joined by a dear old friend. Bob Rupp, thank you so much for being here. Danny, I've known Danny since he was about 10. All right. <laughs> a legend in the music industry. Industry, particularly in Colorado, because Rupp's Drums is what the community was built around. I think the vibe of it was you guys used to run ads that said, fuck off and drum. Fuck off and drum, sex drums and rock and roll, beat me, drums are the most fun you can have without laughing, and the list goes on and on. Every year I'd come up with a new one. Will Drum for Food was my most famous one. I got the idea with these homeless guys with the cardboard, and they get a, a magic marker and scratch out, Will, you know, work for food. And I just got the same font from my t-shirt guy and said, we'll drum for food. Anybody's using that now. I never copyrighted that. I should have. The national drummers always hung out at your store when they were in town. Correct. And it was always the vibe of, this is the place you can hang out. You go after school, shop around. You didn't have to spend money. You were allowed to hit the stuff. You can come in anytime and hit the stuff. 
Just don't break it. It was a very cool thing. How do you position yourself as that store and as that company? Well, my first one was in my living room, yeah, for two years with all the bands in Denver at that time, which was like the Rumble, Dick and the Chicks, the original Rabbits, all these bands that are sort of over now. But 30, 40 years ago, we were headline acts all over the place. Uh, they would rehearse there. And I'd have a little drum shop in the corner. And so uh, drummers would come by on the weekends and we'd throw we'd throw drum parties and get people excited. Then I moved into a 400 square foot retail front, which turned into an 800 square foot retail front, which turned into 1600 square foot. And then we moved across the street where we, it's still there, which is 2400 square feet. So the place that was originally across from KZY was the first place. Correct. Yes. And oddly, I still keep in touch with some of the KZY people. So we started in the building it's in now because I sold the business years ago. I was a journalist before that, and, and I would go to like all the concerts and Rainbow, and I played the Rainbow constantly as well. So I got to know many of the artists that came through. As a journalist, I would engage them and do stories on them. Then I kept in touch with them, and that was a lot harder back then because no one had cell phones, and all you had was like a, maybe the, the manager number or the drummer's number. But I kept in touch with all those people. So when I opened the shop and I let them know what was going on, uh, they would stop by. Now, once again, this is way before the internet, way before cell phones. They had to call me at the shop and let me know they're coming in. And so we had, a, at that time, a big enough parking lot where tour buses could hang all night if they wanted. I didn't care. So you'd have non-drummers hanging out all day. Marilyn Manson would come in all the time. Billy Gibbons would come in all the time. You know, it just, it was a nonstop thing of people just, well, I know I can park there, so I'll come in. And the drummer would come in and buy some stuff while he was there. And then that drummer would tell the next drummer and then the next drummer. And one of the guys that really helped me was Carmine Apiece, or at that time he was Apathy, but Carmine Apiece, we'd been friends long before they opened the shop. And he and I are still great friends. We still talk all the time. I mean, basically wrote the rudimental book for beginning rock drummers. Yes, he's the, he's the man. So he really helped me spread the word from all the drummer cronies. So all of a sudden, some of these younger drummers that were just now getting exposed would come in and I would do a clinic or an in-store with anybody. I don't care who they were. And half, half my customers had no idea, but they couldn't wait to come in and meet like a Johnny Vatos or a, a Mark Shulman or a Terry Bozio or a Ginger Baker or whatever. They, would, they couldn't wait to come in. So the people would just flock to meet someone either old or new. And so the, those old relationships now are still rock solid relationships with me now with saving symbols because I'm now handling the, their needs half the time. And then we're still pals. So the, the so my retail store just grew and grew and grew. You know, we won all the awards you can win, like in drum retail, music retail. And then something happened called the internet. And I was, as, as you know, I was old school, right? You'd come in. Hell, we didn't even have, we didn't have a fucking cash register. You know, I never had a cash register. We had a bank bag. I remember that. That's right. Yeah, we had a bank bag, man. We'd never, I mean, we, we had one that went ding to give the impression we had a cash register, but we never did. Everything was by hand, all the stuff. Slowly, our huge retail business, we would floor 150 kits. Every symbol company in the world we'd floor. We were big into used, big into vintage. One guitar center opened near me on Caldwell Boulevard. I went up in sales because they excite the market. When four or five opened up around me in the surrounding area, I lost residual sales, symbol sticks, uh, impulse buy sales. All that went away. 
so it hurt financially. And you know, the internet was just coming on. So we were on the internet, but we didn't understand like shopping carts, you know, buy it now. eBay was, it was in its infancy back then. I'm looking for a China boy right now for my set. And I'm not going to just buy a symbol. I want to hear the symbol I'm going to put on my kit. There's the exact sound you want on your kit. Right. And you're right. So the internet was taking away some of our vintage business and some of our new business. And we weren't savvy on it yet. We just weren't. And then I got audited by the IRS in 2000. I think it was year 2000, I believe, or 2002. And it was an onslaught. It's like the worst case scenario you could ever get from an IRS agent. I was that guy. Well, clearly not the worst case because you didn't do any time. Well, no, no. I beat them. I beat them. I refused to sign over any documents that because I had done nothing wrong. I even claimed my gig money in these little clubs I play around Denver. If I made fifty bucks, I claimed it, man. So you did it by the books. Huh? I you... did it by the. I was. T I had. I had one set of books, and they were accurate. And they came after me for thirteen months. And I finally said, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're going to have to take me to court. And they dropped everything because they had nothing on me. So I won the audit. But after that, I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore because as much hard work I did, I couldn't stand walking in my store anymore because everybody wanted to buy from you cheaper because my prices were always fair, as you know. They were always like the best you can get in the country, probably. So when the guitar centers came in, they had much bigger buying power than I had. They were right down the street from me. So I would see my loyal customers go over there and like buy DW kits or Ludwig kits from them when I had the better price. But it was just one of those exploratory things for customers. And then they'd come in to me and want me to match pricing, which I always had the best price. So I didn't need to match anybody's price because mine was the lowest in the area. But it got to be a point, it got to be insulting for me because when someone asks you to bring your prices down, they're saying that you want to work harder for less money, right? And that's any industry. And people come in and fight me over the price of sticks. And we were half off on sticks, half off on heads, whatever. I just wore out uh, fighting with the IRS and I just sort of wore out. So that's what I said, I'm done. And you know, I put it up for sale in 2003 and sold it. It still carries your name. That's how powerful the brand is. The new owners didn't want to rebrand their drum shop. It still rubs drums. It is. I sold the name, and I proudly sold the name because people still know who I am from that name. You know, now people still know who I am from the history of Rupp's drums. And now that I'm with Sabian, I'm sort of going like a national, international vibe on what I used to do at Rupp's, I do for Sabian. And, and now, ironically, I handle the Guitar Center account. So I, ironically, <laughs> I'd say this is the irony of my industry. Uh, I handle the Guitar Center account, ironically. I, I handle, I work with uh, Sweetwater Music. I work with Sam Ash. And I also work with all the independent retailers in the country. Now let's talk about what you do for Sabian because we just lightly touched on it. But what's exactly, I know you travel around the country do all the conferences and the fairs for them and the trade shows. That's what I do. So uh, for years with Sabian, I was the key account manager, which was a pretty big title. And then uh, they had some structural changes uh, in corporate and they had the need for me to be in the field more working with independent retailers. So as the key account manager, I was only handling Guitar Center. And then I was pulled off that account and given the, the Midwest and the West as a regional manager, which is like 20 states, huge territory, a lot of work. Uh, and then they did some more restructuring. And now I'm the product and training specialist, which is where I need to be because I'm good at that. 
So all the products that we come out with, I'm the guy that goes all over the country in Canada and trains stores, whether it's small room training or large auditorium training, public speaking, I do all that. Then I do all the events. You teach retailer how to demo your product. Correct. I teach them how to sell. You're the guy that has to make sure that people know what they got. That's me. And that's I'm the only guy, I think, in my in, in my industry that has that title, product and training specialist. I'm the only guy in my division. Now I report to one of the vice presidents in Canada, but I'm in the I'm the only guy. Now we have field guys, we have uh, f- field reps, which I used to be a field rep. And we, then we have some uh, what we call independent reps that also rep other brands out there. So between uh, me and then Artist Relations in the West Coast, and then we have a B&O guy as well who's awesome. And so there's a B&O guy that specifies that. There's an education guy. Uh, Artist Relations covers the entire you know, world in California. And then I'm the product specialist. So there's a core, like five Sabian employees. And then there's some reps that are captive, meaning they work for Sabian. Some reps that are independent, which means they, they rep other brands. So I'm constantly busy with those programs I'm doing. And you're literally flying all over the nation. All over the nation and all over Canada. Uh, and then I also handle Guitar Center again with one of the partners in Canada. We dual handle Guitar Center. So I'm back on that again. And that's a struggle because there's 300 stores. And that means 300 stores of inventory and promotions and sales. And so it's uh, it, it, it takes a lot of time up, but it's really fun because, you know, you can change a skew and make a move, you know, for the for their entire chain. Are you consulting at all or still involved in with Rupp at all? No, not at all. They're having a sale tomorrow. So I'm going to go over there tomorrow and participate. It's like a day of percussion or something. Uh, I'm going to do that. But no, I consult. My consulting, I consult other people in the drum industry. I never charge a nickel because it's goodwill. So I consult other members of companies. I can't say who. I consult uh, lots of the rock star guys. You know, they, they call me about this and that. And I'll tell them what I think they should do with their career. Or if it's a drum set switch or whatever, a music switch, or just, I need work. What can you find anything? I do a lot of that for the big rock star guys. I don't say who they are. So it's all private. I never charge them a nickel because the camaraderie and the friendship is worth way more than like a hundred bucks an hour or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's invaluable. Your business experience and your understanding of sales and community, it always comes back. And you've always had that business minded understanding of things where it was the relationship correct if the relationship is there at some point it'll come back financially later it's about the relationship and a lot of retailers don't understand that the money you spend on advertising let's just say advertising alone cost x amount of dollars to get that customer off his ass to get into your shop okay what's it cost you to lose that customer right so if you get the customer in the door and don't follow up with goodwill uh, or, or you know, free tuning, or just come on down and have a hot dog on Saturday and hang out with me. You know, you don't have to buy anything. That kind of uh, reach out to the community, it paid back in volumes, man. You know, what a lot of people just ignore the customer. They, they all go, we're right out the door and you never see them again. I always felt, I still feel this way working for the second largest symbol company in the world, is that the customer feels two ways. Now, my customers now are retailers, and then their customers are, are consumers. But I still do one-on-one action with the consumer when I can. But they feel good or they feel bad, you know? And they feel bad, they're going to tell a bunch of people. They feel good. I mean, well, today it's Yelp and all these other things, but this didn't exist back then. But 
you know, they would, hey, that guy at Rupp's, that was great. But if they feel bad, they're going to tell a lot more people. So my, my thing was no one feels bad if they go out the door. And if they do, I'm going to take care of it. Let me ask you as a musician and someone that knows their industry better than most, vintage drums, what's the best? Ludwig always sells. Okay, Ludwig is a consistent seller because the name brand holds up and the quality was there. And they had great, they had fairly decent hardware back then and they had great colors. For me as a collector, as you know, because you bought one from me, my money's always on Ludwig as far as my first purchase uh, to find things. Now, do I have Slingerland? Yes, of course I do. Do I have Rogers? Of course. Do I have Gretsch? Of course. What's the best sounding that holds up over time in your opinion? Well... That's a tough one because sound is an ambiguous thing to the drummer. So for me as a player, I can get my sound out of an old Ludwig kit or a new Ludwig kit or a new DW kit or something like that because I'm a traditionalist when, when it comes to American brands. That's me. But there's some Slinger ones that sound great. There's some Gretches that sound fantastic. You know, so in olden times, Ludwig made their own shells and Slingerland made their own shells. And after Beatlemania and the onslaught of the British invasion, all the companies, including Sabian and everybody else in the world, Sabian at that time was called ASCO, uh, had to make stuff quicker and get it out there in the field. So a lot of those beautiful Ludwig drums that were made back then were set, were shipped out wet. Uh, the glue was still wasn't dry yet. So some of the drums went a bit out of round, but back then, drummers could tune drums and they would tune the drums to the studios. You know, that, that that's kind of a lost art today. Uh, so they would just bring the Ludwig kit in or the Slingerland or Gretsch kit in, get it tuned up. And all those great tones that we're trying to recreate today in the studio that like Bonham did and Ringo did and Charlie did, all those killer... Keith. Like, yeah, Keith, oh, I love him. My favorite one's Keith. All those awesome tones. Those guys just set the drums up, kind of tweaked the heads, figured the room out and went for it. Half that shit's cut live. You, you had to have good drums, but you had to have good uh, knowledge of tuning. Uh, I can't say those guys had the knowledge of tuning we have today, but they knew how to have, make the drums sound like themselves. Okay, so let me change the question to, in your personal opinion of sound quality taste? I would say Ludwig because I'm a Ludwig fanatic. Okay. But some other guy would say Gretsch, or they'd say Slingerland. But I don't play any vintage drums. I have Ludwig Classic Maple. I have Ludwig Vista Light brand new, brand new Vista Light. I have DW collector's maple and dw mahogany maple i just got uh, two weeks ago how do you decide which kit you're playing when you play out it's my mood is it yeah the mood up because i have how many kits do you have i have well, i own four that i that i keep in the cycle and i own like 10 really high-end snares but the other stuff i don't keep i sell keep it circulating i sell it all so all, all my vintage kits that you see on facebook or whatever all those are for sale because i don't play them stuff passes through your hands in life that you might regret selling and you might not. It includes drums. I've owned a bunch of properties that I never should have sold, but I sold because sometimes you need money and that's, there's your cash. Uh, my favorite drum set is my next drum set. I <laughs> love that. That's my next one. That's my favorite kit because the ones I have now I love, but they don't love me back. They're cool. They're cool looking. The DW kit I got is shockingly beautiful. And there was the library kit that I sold you was shockingly beautiful. They're just round things. Drums, in reality, they're just round things. They, some are wood, some are plastic, some are metal. Some go boom, some go bang. Like cymbals, cymbals go crash. 
You know, now symbols, the, the defined art of making a symbol, because I work for Sabian and, and watch them make symbols, really intricate where a, even a slight lathing mark will change the tone and the complexity of the symbol. Yeah, you use the wrong polish on it, it'll change the sound of the symbol forever. Yeah. Well, not, not too much. I mean, that polish is mostly a myth. Uh, there's certain s polishes that are more abrasive. But that's when you're hearing with your eyes and not your ears. Because I guarantee you, you put a bunch of symbols behind you, blindfolded, and hit them. You're not going to know which ones are polished and which ones are not. You won't. <laughs> I can't. And I'm like a symbol specialist, and I can't, you know? No, just to make them look shiny on stage, yes, right? and I like shiny. I like doll. I don't care about that. I like the sound. But with a drum kit, I mean, you know, there's... You know, DW is the, for, the forerunner on making really cool exotic kits that sell those sonar as well. So what about Tama? I see that Lars still plays Tama. When somebody like that is playing stadiums, he's playing on a Tama kit. Are there 400 kids coming into the stores next week, like trying to buy a Tama kit because Lars is on it? It all depends how effective Lars is in advertising anymore. Metallica is still giant. But are kids going out buying double bass kits anymore for listening to Metallica? I don't think so. I'm an American product traditionalist. That's what I am. But I also love sonar drums because the way they're built in Germany. And I also loved Premier drums for years because they were all handmade in England. All these other, what I call the Asian brands, Tama, Yamaha, Mapex, Pearl, all of them, if you buy their high end, you're going to get a great kit. I mean, you're going to get a spectacular kit. And it's probably going to be a little bit less the American kits. Uh, because they've they've they got the wood down to a science, they got the the lacquering down to a science. So those companies killed the American drum companies thirty years ago because they came in with a, a decent product for a lower price. Now they've upped their ante, like every company's up their ante now. So any company's high end, you can't go wrong. You know, I the the, the names I sit, like to sit behind. When you sit behind that kit, there's a logo out front. You know, those names to me are DW and Ludwig. Because those names make me comfortable, and I love the drums. I have never played a gig other than sitting in on a Yamaha kit, a Pearl kit, or a Tama kit. Now, I'm not knocking the drums. I think they're great drums. But for me, as a traditionalist, I have to have an American name in front of my or Sono or Premier, those brands. Let me ask you about glam rock bands like slaughter right. and tommy lee right and and ironically tommy in the middle of dr feelgood tour went from playing a double bass to like a four-piece kit yeah and, and changed it all up but to show how simple it really could be and was still able to produce the same sounds because he was triggering everything well yeah there's that and then and and there's that there's triggering um <laughs> Yeah, you know, that was a great time to be in retail because, you know, I, I never mentioned my competitors and I'm still not going to bring them up now. We had the goods and we had the moxie. Those days, hell, and I'd have 20 double bass kits in stock. And that just added to the bottom line, man. You know, everybody wanted two bass drums and those stupid rack systems. My God, you know, we'd, we'd order Volker racks in that were like a thousand bucks. Then you had to house them and transport them. Well, it was amazing too because watching bands build them. Oh, so dumb but that's in but you know what i should knock it i don't care what people play as long as they're playing drums nobody can see you behind that cage it's like if you're trying to be a rock star it's hard to get famous no one can see you get behind all that the monkey cage. Muck out of the way because the way the way i hang my symbols i hang my symbols upside down 
uh, like I go up here at the boom stand and they symbol. So they hang down right and float. Yeah, because people can see me then. That's why I did it. I, I stole that from Sheila E. That was a Sheila E. trick that I stole. And I thought, that's pretty cool. So I started hanging in that way. And that way you had a clear view of what I was doing because I'm an integral part of the live show. Because Ringo played a kit just like yours and you could see him. Yeah, but he had the symbols way low. I wanted to be seen because it wasn't an ego thing. It was just a, experiencing the band from the audience thing is that everybody in all my bands have been extremely active on stage and visual which keeps the customer interested and i'm you know a, you know i wouldn't say flamboyant drummer but i'm kind of like a moon and in a ringo type of vibe that's sort of how i play you got a vintage vibe to it yeah yeah it's a, it's a vintage vibe but i do a lot of tricks and all that but i don't do all this spinny stuff i just do a lot of cool moves and whatever it is doesn't matter but it's important for the drummer to be noticed because believe me you unless you're writing songs and really out there in the field, no one's going to know who you are. Yeah, it's hard to be Tommy Lee. Right. And there's guys out there right now that you probably book that are old aging rock stars that are still playing the hits from the 80s, which is nothing wrong with that. A lot of those guys didn't have didn't do well with their money, so they have to tour. I love watching the classic guys play because you're guaranteed a great show. You're guaranteed a sing-along night. But then I also love discovering brand new bands. I was at the Ogden the other night, the band Blackberry Smoke, who I think are just phenomenal Southern rock. The two with Cadillac 3, Blackberry Yeah, Smoke? so uh, Cadillac 3, 3 opened. I'd never heard of them They're before. They're great. Love the band. No bass player. I'm like, what is going on here? They were awesome. Then Blackberry Smoke to me is just in, well, the, probably the best Southern rock band out there right now. And I signed that guy five years ago. Some bands to check out for sure if you don't know them. Cadillac 3 and Blackberry Smoke. And I would check out the Struts. Great rock band. Yeah, that's the, probably the best rock band I've seen in years and the best lead singer I've seen in years. And a new band out of Atlanta called The Biters. The Biters. Okay, I just signed that drummer yesterday to a Sabian deal. Uh, they are straight ahead, 70s, almost T-Rexy rock and roll uh, with killer rock hooks, killer vocals, traditional four-piece rock band, shag cuts. They look great, you know, and they're called The, the Biters. The Biters. Great rock and roll advice for bands to check out from Bob Rupp. Thank you so much for being with us on the podcast, man. Danny Steiny Steinberg. Well, this is great to be on Promoter 101. I'm uh, thrilled to be here. Bob is a legend. We love that he survived cancer and came out the other side. The city of Denver just celebrated Bob with his own official day, Bob Rupp Day, with an official citation from the mayor. To say that he's next level is just an understatement. I can honestly say I wouldn't be where I am today without the help of Bob Rupp steering me along my path many, many years ago. Big ups to Bob Rupp. Hi, this is Nick Gold from Entertainment Travel. I'm on Promoter 101. If you want to reach out to us, send us an email to Steiny at Promoter101.net. We promise we'll get back to you. And you know what, Dan? This is the end of day 10 of Promoter 101's 12 Days of Christmas. That means there's only two more interviews left. On the 30th of December and the 31st of December, Dan and I are going to be wrapping up with two more featured interviews. These are small, abridged versions of the Promoter 101 podcast designed to give you a fix during the holiday season. We hope that you'll tune in and have been enjoying these last 10 featured interviews during the 12 days of Christmas. There are two more. Make sure you tune in tomorrow, December 30th for the 11th day of the 12 days of Christmas. Just a little something to help you avoid your family along the way. Maybe stick out in the corner, get a fix. Like I'm doing work. I got to listen to the podcast, you know, something like that. Anyway, wishing you sold out shows for the days to come. Cheers, everybody. This is Peter Schwartz, WMA in New York on Promoter 101. Let's have some fun.